podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is the Love Rugby League podcast, bringing you the latest rugby league news, talking points and exclusive interviews. Listen as fellow fans and experts discuss the burning issues in the game and share their bold predictions. We're out every Wednesday to look ahead to your rugby league weekend. Welcome to the Love Rugby League podcast, talking life and league for 45 minutes or thereabouts every week of the year. One big in-depth feature interview each week with one of the biggest names in the greatest game and all the big issues as well dissected by the Love Rugby League team. Download us on Spotify, Apple and do please leave a review as well and all the other major podcast providers and make sure to follow Love Rugby League on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for exclusive news and features from right across Rugby League. You can find us online at loverugbyleague.com. This is the Love Rugby League podcast. Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com. Welcome to this week's big interview and this week's guest is a grand final and Challenge Cup winner uh, with Wigan back in the day and a man who's been playing in the playoffs this year, albeit this season has just come to an end uh, with the Catalan Dragons and with it his stay at the Dragons. In fact, Wales International Gil Dudson is this week's big interview. How are you, mate? Good to, good to see you. I'm pretty good, mate. Thank you. It's a bit late over here, uh, but no, we're doing well. We're holding on. How's everything over your end? All good? Yeah, uh, it's it's wet and it's increasingly cold, and we're not in the south of France like you. But otherwise, no reason no reason to complain at all. Um, but you're you're trading in the south of France, and we'll, we'll get onto that in due course. Um, let, we've got to start with, with your game against Leeds. You know, we're only a few days after that. We're recording this this podcast. You know, in in the days and hours after that, and you know, we'll, we'll start with that with that defeat. Not not only the, the defeat, the manner of it with Catalan losing to Leeds, but also you. Fair play for coming on this podcast because, I mean, talk about a way to end your Catalan Dragons career with a, a playoff defeat and a red card right at the end. I was expecting you to, I was expecting you to swerve me this week, but but fair play for no, coming on. No, 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 I wasn't, like I say, it wasn't what I would have had planned. Bit of an acrimonious ending, um, especially on the back of, you know, the success that we had last season, getting to the grand final and league leaders and all the rest of it. And then, a bit bittersweet, really, you know, we, we had a couple of good results against Leeds. Um, things didn't pan out as we thought this week. Uh, you know, Leeds were the better side at the end of the day. They played they played the conditions well and they came with a different game plan. We weren't we obviously weren't ready for it. Um, you know, towards the end of the game, I guess, it was, as you saw, you know, it was a very heated game throughout the whole, the whole contest was heated. It was back and forth. It was very physical. Um I think emotions kind of got the better of me towards the end, you know, last home game ever. Um, and a bit silly of myself, you know, I kind of let my emotions get the better of me and rightly so, I got my marching orders. You, you got sent off for, I mean, it was a headbutt. It wasn't really a headbutt, was it? Let's be honest. But it was in the letter of the law, it was a headbutt. But that, that's, no. not the, that's not something you really see in rugby league ever, is it? I, I, I couldn't no, but... quite believe it. Um, I'm surprised it was what it was, to be honest. I, yeah. My kids hit me harder than that, so I was a bit, <laughs> a bit embarrassed off, off that angle, 100%. Um, the game's definitely changed a lot from when I started out, let me tell you, because uh, that wouldn't have even been a penalty back in the day, but there we are. These are the days that we play in now. So were you, were you annoyed? Were you more annoyed with yourself for, for being in that position to get sent off, or were you annoyed with the fact that that shouldn't have been a red? Like, what, what, was, your, what was your main source of ire? Um, at, at the moment, at the, at the exact moment in time, I was, I was really fuming with myself. I felt like I left myself, let myself down, let my family down, um, let the team down as well. Um, and then in the moments after, I was kind of just in disbelief that it was even a red card. You know, some of the stuff that had gone on throughout the game that weren't even yellow cards for that to be a red card at the end of the game. But look, I think at the end of the day, the ref had just had enough of all, all the niggling and the back and forth, and he's just kind of seen his chance to kind of, uh, and I, you know, I kind of give him that opportunity to make that decision. And 
you know, we live with the decisions that we make at the time, don't we? So it's just time to move on. And it, it wasn't it wasn't just you. I mean, you had a few yellows as well. Mitchell Pearce got going self simbid twice, didn't he? Yeah, I believe uh, so. Yeah, I think I was off for that last that second. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. We, um, was it? Who was the other one? Was it McAlorum? The other one, probably. I bet you. Yeah, Mickey got sent off a yellow card as well. Yeah, he got he got a yellow. So looking at that, is that because like Catalan always play on the edge, don't you? Kind of on the edge, you know, pushing it. You're a physical side. Was that lead just getting under your skin, or did you just? Did you just try and push it and get it slightly wrong? I think there's a bit of both. You know, you know, Leeds aren't no pushovers. You know, they come to play as well. They they play on the line. You know, they've got a lot of players historically, especially this season, that have had some lengthy bands themselves. And, you know, I think certain things were letting go one way and not letting go another way. And that that's just, the, you know, the way you kind of feel things are going and you kind of take it upon yourself. You know, you speak to the referee, the referee says, keep everything calm and then, it comes to a point normally within a game, as anyone who's ever played any sport, you kind of take the decision upon yourself to just try and right the wrongs that you feel have happened to yourself. Or well, not yourself, not you personally, but the team as a whole, I guess. Um, and like you say, I think we probably took it too far, 100%. And I think that's therein lies the problem. We thought we, we took, we'd take it on ourselves and rather than letting the ref do what he needed to do and just stick into our game plan, we kind of went a bit askew and went away from the game plan. Um, what what was the dressing room like after? It's 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 an unforgiving sport, uh, especially in the playoffs, because you get it slightly wrong like that, and it's not just oh we've lost the game. That's your season done, and for you, yeah. that's it. That's that's your that's your career at the Catalan Dragons done. So that must have been so much to try and get your head around in that moment in the dressing room. Yeah, it was sombre. I remember speaking at halftime and saying to people, you know, there was a fair few of us in there at the time uh, that were definitely leaving, a couple that decisions weren't made. But this was essentially our last chance to play at home together. Uh, uh, the group was changing. And, you know, going into that second half, we were confident. Um, I think, you know, after the result, it was a very, very sombre dressing room. There's not really much to say. Um, you know, people have made mistakes with in their own performance. People have made mistakes and gotten yellow cards, red cards, disciplinary issues. Um, and I think that's one to kind of, hopefully for the team moving forward to, to learn a lesson from. I know they did the year before I came. The St. Ellen's game was pretty similar, if I remember. They, you know, they, they went really aggressive and they got a, a lot of players timbined and they ended up getting trounced in the end. I thought we'd learned our lesson last season. Uh, and clearly it's come to bite us bite us again. So it's definitely something that needs uh, fixing up, I think. Is, is that just one thing on, you know, one final point on that? It, would you say that's the main thing? Just Catalan Dragons are almost there. You've had, you know, you've won the Cup, or they've won the Cup. Grand final, so close, minutes away from winning it last year. Is that just the one thing that you, is stopping them perhaps going on and lifting the big one, just fine-tuning that discipline? Um. This year, yeah, I think so. Well, to be fair, this year, I think we've been pretty up and down all throughout the season. I don't think we've been brilliant at all. Um, you know, we've had new half-back partnership come in. We've had some serious injuries. You know, the team's been up and down. In, people have been in and out here, there and everywhere. Uh, so the consistency hasn't really been there this season um, across the board. In terms of, of the team, I don't know where they go moving forward. Like I said, they've got a lot of players moving on. They've got players coming in they've got some good young French lads that are chomping at the bit and uh, are, are there to prove themselves so it'll be interesting to see how they line up next year It feels from the outside looking in mate it feels like a bit of a missed opportunity for the Dragons this year because you were so close and so good last year and I've spoken a lot to to Steve your, your manager Steve McNamara and, and, and Sam Tompkins throughout the course of this year and they both said to me anything other than getting back to Old Trafford it's probably a failure in terms of, of the season. And you've not, you've not even got, you know, to within one match of that. So, you know, the harsh reality is it, it probably is a failed season. Yeah. yeah. I, me and one, uh, me and another member of staff uh, who I'm not named spoke about this after the, the grand final loss last year. And I, I think we kind of said finishing top four and then having a good playoff run along with a cup run would be success. Because where the team had been, is it four or five years ago in the million pound yeah. game? Yeah, yeah. You know, to yeah. to then all of a sudden think that you kind of have earned the right to be in the grand final every year. It's a, it's a big step. 
you know, it's a very big step to take. And I think that we had a, we had, granted, we had massive success in 2000 and the last season just gone. Um, and we were, we were playing brilliantly. But then, like I say, we've, we've had new players come in in key positions and you've got to build them, them relationships back up again. And you've got to basically remould your whole team. Um, and I think this year's just not come off. And I, I think we kind of put that pressure on ourselves. Not unduly warranted, but I think we kind of laid our stall out early doors as a group that it was grand final or bust. And mm. like you say, we haven't even made the, the semi-finals. Mm. So judging it on that, it's, yeah, it's a failure of a season. It feels like a waste opportunity for myself personally. I feel like we've wasted an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's probably, you probably probably put it slightly better than me actually there. Um, how, how do you reflect on your your couple of years in the south of France? I read you, the post you put out earlier, you clearly loved your time there. Yeah, I, I get the impression chatting to you that your family have loved it there uh, uh, as well. Yeah. You, you were full of praise for, for the owner and, and the club um, for what yeah, they Yeah, definitely, done. you know, Bernard's, uh, you know, he's a passionate man, but he's, uh, he's an honest man as well. It's, it's funny, we've come to the south of France and this is the working class area of the south of France. So we've gone from the working class area of England, skipped all the posh parts of England and France and ended up in the working class part of France again. Um, but, but no, like my family, have had, we love it here. We live in a little village of less than 4,000 people. My wife, she, you know, she, she does her best with the language, but she's not bilingual by any stretch of the imagination and she's stepped up massively. We've just had our fourth child here now in a French hospital. Wow. My eldest daughter is near enough fluent now. Um, my oldest son, that like they only go to French school. They don't go to the international schools. They've embraced the culture. We've got friends like my neighbour next door. I just showed you. Then he works all the fields. He owns the crops here. He's constantly dropping off fresh produce. It's just a totally different way of lifestyle. Totally different type of life and something that I'm grateful that I've been able to give my family the opportunity through through the career that. You know, through rugby, um, my my father was in the forces, so I moved all over the world growing up. So right. it was it was second nature to me. When the opportunity arose, it was a, I didn't have to think about it. It was a yes. My wife's never left her hometown, so for her, it was a bit of a bigger decision, and it was a bit of a harder harder task to get her to come out here. But looking back now, she she's she can't believe the amount of growth that she's seen in herself, and no one really wants to go back. <laughs> So, so why are you coming back or is it, is it just a, a business decision? It's just, a, right, my next contract is, is back home. A bit, a bit of that, mate, and a bit of kind of trying to pull out a bit and look further on. I'm 32 now, do you know what I mean? I'm not, um, I've not got another 10 years left in me. So there's a lot of opportunities back home, uh, some different avenues of businesses and stuff for me to get involved in. Um, the kids are getting older, like my daughter's seven now. Um, and the schooling system here is very different back to the UK. Like to the point where she knows what things are in French, but she doesn't know what the English word uh, is. So it's a bit of that as well. I was eight years old when my mum finally pulled the pin on us traveling around the world and uh, moved us back to the UK so we could have the last couple of years in primary school and make them friends and then move on to high school. So it's just trying to do right by by them as well as, how the career pans out as well because really now when you when you obviously get in this age and you've got that many children and stuff it's you know it's more about them at the end of the day than what my hopes and aspirations are is it, so what were the kind of places you were travelling to as a kid then up so until the age of eight I was born in Trowbridge uh, down in Wiltshire and then we went to Hong Kong my sister was born there. Then after that, we went to Northern Ireland, then to Canada, then to Germany, and then finally to the South of Wales. Wow. So there's a fair few different countries yeah. you could qualify for playing for then. Well, I don't know, because I'm a British <laughs> citizen, so this is the problem. No one wants to see me <laughs> <them> on board. <laughs> um, just a couple more on, on, on France. I mentioned Sam Tompkins. He speaks just like you. He absolutely loves it. I think he is going to stay. He's, he's got his roots down there now. He don't want to come back. He, he, he always talks to me about wanting a future in the media. But every time he's not playing, he's sitting alongside Steve doing a lot of the coaching. Could you see him as a, as a coach at the Catalan? I don't think he wants to do it, but he seems to be no, part I don't of think the he wants to. I spoke to him a few times about this, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but yeah. I don't think... So it wants to know once you've been playing for as long as 
he's played a bit longer than me. But you know, when you when you finally finish, I think you'd like to have your, your weekends back for a little bit at first. So I think he's trying to work his way back into the work his way through the media so he can have his weekends back. And you know, he's not on that schedule because a playing schedule compared to a coaching schedule is like chalk and cheese. Yeah. Um, so, so you're heading back. Uh, it was going to be with a with a World Cup bridge in between your Catalan career and your next step, which is Warrington. Is that still going to happen? Because this ban, you've got a three-match ban now and obviously your domestic season finished and for some bizarre reason, your bans now count for internationals, which I, I don't quite understand yeah. the value in that. No, no, so this- I've, had a, I've had a few phone calls today and like I say, I'm... I'm not sure. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be feasible with, the, especially with the group that we've got at the minute and the squad we've got. Like without putting a dampener on things, I don't think I'm going. I don't think I'll be able to. I don't think there'll be enough games in the competition for me to be able to pull the shirt back on. But it would count. You've got. You correct me if I'm wrong. You've got one. You'll have one game before the World Cup, which a ban would count for. So it'd just be a case of whether they pick you for for the last group game. We're not sure whether that game will count towards the ban right. in on some answers so but it's it's someone else who's probably going to make the decision like they, you know if, if someone you know if, if the coaching staff decide that they want you in the squad for that final group game then you would say yeah you're not going to say um, that's me done you're going to be available if, if they go with it but that's the conversation I need to have with the, the powers that be like I say it's, um, right. as much as you'd like to make decisions for yourself we play in the an industry where you don't really get much say on them sort of things. That would be a sickener, though, wouldn't it? It, it wouldn't <laughs> be ideal, no. Sad. But what, as they say, say la vie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Let, let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about where you played and where you're going. Maybe start with with, with Warrington. How did that move come about, and what what do you think that's going to look like going to a side which? I would imagine it's going to look completely different next year from what we've seen this year. Yeah, like I say, you know, we we love it. We loved it over here. We do love it over here. We wanted to to stay, um, and we were in conversation. And then I got a phone call saying Warrington were interested, uh, and it's always a club that I'd kind of been interested to play play for when um, when I was a bit younger. Um, I had a conversation with Carl and Daryl and. After that conversation, I was pretty much sold on the vision that they've got for the team and where they want to go, and uh, I was pretty excited to be a part of it. Well, what, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty easy decision, to be honest, at the end of the day. What have you made since agreeing to to go and play for the Wolves? What, what have you made of how much they've struggled this year? Has that surprised you or worried you, or have you just observed uh, it, thinking we'll be all right? Surprised me a bit, yeah, because you know Warrington are normally perennial top four contenders. Um, worried me not really the caliber of players that they've got there you know what they're trying to do there you know trying to instill a new type of culture and having to you know they, they wanted they wanted to move some players on and bring some players in and you know it's always going to take time and um, you know it's not as straightforward as we'll just sign x y and z and everything will be rosy and we bring a new coach in and everyone's happy look at how Arsenal were when Arteta came in you know they were sitting bottom of the league for a little while um and now everyone's singing his praises, saying he's a genius. So, you an, are you an Arsenal fan? I'm an Arsenal fan, yeah. <laughs> how, how have you ended up an Arsenal fan on top of all those places that you were in? It was the first jersey my grandmother bought me, Henri 14, on the back. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll let you off there. So, so Warrington's still to coach. You're taking Sam Cassiano with you as well, aren't you, from the Dragon? I didn't fancy tackling him, no. He was kind of wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that'll be yeah, that'll be um, that'll be interesting. What do what do you think he'll bring to to that Warrington pack? I mean, they need a new pack. They're basically taking the Dragons back. What what do you think you two will bring? Um, what we've brought here, I guess. You know, with Cass, you, you bring him on at a certain time in a game, he's going to cause absolute mayhem and havoc. Um, playing off the bench with him, as I have been the last few months, it's a it's a joy to play with him. <laughs> Yeah, makes my job yeah. a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Um, two two of the sides left in the, in the competition you've played for in in Wigan, uh, and more recently with with, with Salford. Um, you would have been beaten in the grand final. Were you in that 
2019 team with, with, with Salford in the grand final, yeah. Um, what have you made of their season? They've been, they've been absolutely sensational, haven't they, this year? Yeah, they've been brilliant. They play in the brand of rugby as well that, you know, you can't help but enjoy watching. They're throwing the ball around. Everyone's got a smile on their face. I've got a few friends who I speak to. I've been speaking to Andy Akers actually about half an hour ago. Um, right. You know, so you know, they're doing brilliantly, mate. You know, they're playing well. Um, I can't say enough. I, I love my time there. You know, I really did enjoy myself after what had happened at Witness and the way things had transpired. Um, and then going across to Salford a little bit at last minute, I was coming an hour in. After the after what happened at Witness, I had the whole season injured. I was I was. I, contemplating just packing in and finishing the way it ended. I wasn't sure yeah. I was going to carry on anymore. Um, and then the offer came in because obviously I played with Watto at Wales. I had a bit of a chat with him. Made the decision to go across and, you know, that run we went on in 2019 was something out of a, out of a movie. Um, and even, even into 2020, you know, making the Challenge Cup final the next year as well, it was, you know, two of, two of probably the best times I've had playing uh, in recent memory. So, you know, Salford Hall's a, a fun place in my heart. Were you, were you seriously thinking about giving up after witness went down? Or was that just yeah. a reaction to... No, no, no. I was genuinely... Because I'd... Um, so when I was at Wigan, I was 24, got married. We found out we were expecting my daughter, just bought a house. And then when I was on my honeymoon, I got a text message off one of my friends saying, oh, I've just heard you've signed at whole KR. I was like, it's a bit weird. So I made a few phone calls. Kind of left it to it. I was I was coming home um, two days later. Got home, rang the coach up. It was like we need to have a catch up. I'm, I'm hearing all sorts. Went and had a coffee. And all credit to Wayne. He was like, "Yeah, mate, we want you to go on loan this year. Um, you're down the pecking order." I didn't really want to go on loan, especially you know I just bought a house in Wigan. I didn't really fancy going on loan to Hull with a, a new wife and a, and a baby on the way. So. That's how I ended up going across to Widnes. Um, that at that moment in time, at 24 years old, was a bit of a rude awakening. Uh, it was like, okay, so this is professional sport. It's pretty ruthless. It's pretty cutthroat. I best have a backup plan because I'd left university to play full time rugby league. So I was studying mechanical engineering when I was eight, uh, 18, 19, and then left to play rugby league. So I needed to kind of get my my backside into gear. So I went and did. Um, night school at Wigan College when I was at Widnes. So I did four years doing AAT, uh, accountancy qualification. So when everything transpired with Widnes, I kind of already had something in place that I could slot into. So it was just a case of how that would have looked in finances and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, fortunately, it didn't come to it in the end. I, you know, I managed to carry on playing and continue, continue with Salford and we didn't have to cross that bridge. You and, uh, you and Leah Marshall could set up an accountancy firm together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's done that as well. I think he's still studying, isn't he, at the moment? Yeah, I think he's doing his uh, chartered stuff now. It wasn't yeah. for me. I did, I did, a, I did a few placements, and it's not for me. So, I mean, that's that's interesting. So, you you could have packed it all in. You would have been late twenties, would you? A witness, even yeah, I'd have been twenty twenty eight at the time. Yeah, yeah, but you you decided to to keep going and Salford, you know revitalised you I, I guess and yeah massively I think it was a bit of a wake up call as well because I was injured all season I only played six or seven games and it was my wife really who stopped me um, from calling it a day because I was just I was like I'm, I'm done and she was like you've not played this year give yourself one more season and see how you feel don't like don't finish on this on this note so credit to her again you know she's the one who kept me going and you know things have kind of panned out for the best so far that strikes me that what you're telling me there could be quite common in in this sport because it's so brutal, and you you are, you are physically put giving away your your health, your physical health, and your body, and I guess your mental health as well. And it must reach a point for a lot of players when they think, "What on earth am I doing?" Especially when it's not going well for you on the pitch. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, that, I think that's one of the you know the physical side of things you can kind of deal with up to a point when it's like that season I did I had back surgery ankle surgery another ankle surgery um, and at that point I was just exhausted like mentally I was over it because when you when you're rehabbing from an injury 
it's you and maybe one or two other other people and the same coach and it's normally quite repetitive and it's a bit mind numbing and it's the same thing over and over and when you get a couple back to back to back in the same season it, it can be quite draining um but like you say luckily for myself i had a good support system around me uh, but again on the other side the mental health side of things you know it's i can see why people I've got friends who play championship and they love they love rugby league. And then I've got friends who play super league and can't stand rugby league. <laughs> so it's, really? it's, a bit, it's a bit bizarre. Like you've got the top level pros and some of them are just like, I just can't be doing this. And then you've got boys who are playing in the lower leagues and they're a lot happier, which I can't make rhyme or reason of. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we know, that the mental health side of it, it's just, you know, it, it doesn't discriminate. Like, no matter how rich you are or successful you, you're perceived to be or what level you're playing at, it's got nothing to do with what's going on in your head. And, we, no. you know, we've, we've, we've seen that so much, which is why it's hard, I guess, to make, make those big decisions. You know, you, you could have walked away. Who's to say you wouldn't have been happier if, if you had, you know? And maybe, maybe I've, had the, that, I've had that thought, to be fair, and to looking back and thinking and doing some internal work I think the reason I didn't walk away was fear I had a young family I was scared how was I going to survive how was I going to pay the bills um, and it's one of them it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't isn't it I guess so fortunately for myself things have panned out pretty well like I say you know went, went to the grand final had a bit of a fairy tale year at Salford then we had the final the following year and then you know managed to come over another couple of years uh, in the south of France mm. Um, you mentioned you, you mentioned Andy Ackers. You may have just been on the phone to how what season he's had. Uh, people are talking about you know the the great hookers, James Roby. Uh, everyone was hoping he'd come back for England, named in the dream team. Everyone raving about Levi at, uh, at Huddersfield. Uh, you know Clark in the mix as well. I look at Ackers, and I don't think anyone is playing any better than he is in, in a number nine shirt. No, at the minute his form's absolutely sensational. I watched the highlights of the Huddersfield game and he's just, he's absolutely tearing teams apart. And there's, there's things that fans might not notice, but as a player and someone who's played with him, he's been on the certain parts of his game that he's been working on where his deception out of nine, where he looks like he's going one way and he comes back and he's just that quick out of out of the ruck. But his deception's got that good now where he's, he's going the one way, the markers think he's coming and the next minute he's gone. That last try he scored and he was just straight away down and he was gone. Would it be absolutely absurd to to say that Sean Wayne should be looking at him for the World Cup, given the options he has? I don't think so. You know, I know, I know Wayne. I've worked with Wayne, and he's always picked on form. He's, he's spoken about publicly how he'll pick on form, and you know, like you say at the minute, I don't think there's a better informed hooker at the minute than Andy. So, I think it wouldn't be absurd um, for him to be looking at him and for him to get the call up at all now. But he loves. He loves. Your Catalan teammate McAloran, doesn't he? Sean Wayne, like, he, he loves him. He, he'll probably have Clark in there as well. So you know, it's hard to work out where he would accommodate. And Andy, yeah, Ackers, I guess. yeah, I guess so. But then I guess you don't know. There's a lot of teams in the group, and there's a lot of games to be played, and there's a lot of rugby that's been played, as you know. There's a lot of rugby that's been played in the in the last few weeks, close together. So you can't play everybody every minute of every game either. Um, we, we've not spoken much about about Wigan and your time there. I'm guessing, and I am guessing that they would have been your your happiest moments. And I'm guessing that because that's where you won silverware, the Challenge Cup and, and the Grand Final in that double of of 2013. What are your memories like of of playing in that famous Wigan team? It was um, it was a bit surreal because I'd come from Celtic Crusaders where we didn't win many games. No, gone <laughs> <laughs> from. Not winning very often to go into Wigan and being, well, okay, we win all the time. How, to be honest, initially, how am I here? That was my first thought. I walked in the change room. We had Sean O'Loughlin, Sam Tompkins, Pat Richards. I was thinking, how have I landed this? I've done, what's happened here? How have I ended up here? Um, bit of imposter syndrome. Um, and then, like you say, you know the. That team, the one thing I remember about that team in 2013, I would say that's probably the closest, one of the closest teams that I've been in, in terms of togetherness. And, you know, it's a bit cliche, oh, we're all best mates, you know, but everyone was together. Um, everyone, if someone was going out for a, 
dinner, everyone went for dinner. If someone was going out for a drink after a game, everyone went out for a drink after a game. Uh, you know, that team spirit and that camaraderie, you know, it, it paid dividends in the end because we went on and won the double. Um, but I'd say probably at the time, yeah, that was definitely my proudest moment. I would say, having gone through what I did post that, I would say getting get into the grand final with Salford and beating Wigan at Wigan in the semi-final, that would definitely be up there as one of the best uh, achievements. Playing with someone who I played with in 2013 with Liam Moss up as well. And Greg Burke was there. Uh, he was part of that Wigan squad at the time as well. So, yeah, definitely 13 doing the double. And then that, that semi-final win against Wigan, beating Wigan at Wigan when we were completely written off in 19, that was up there as one of the better moments as well. And listening to you talk about going out for a drink with the lads after a game reminds me that you that's something else you've left behind. Like me, sure. I, don't, you know, I don't booze anymore. And I was surprised when you... You told me you don't either, and you know, that must be quite hard to to fit in with the professional athlete, winning, losing, and going out on the beers together. How how, how did that change in your life come about? So I'm just shy of 800 days now, um, wow. and it was COVID, and the last time I had a drink was I probably done about three days of you know the quizzes and all that sort of nonsense and everyone having <laughs> yeah. a drink and sending it to their friends and just woke up one morning and my wife was like what are you doing and I was and that was that I've not touched the drop since um and I'd done it before and not drunk for six months but it was as if it was like a countdown waiting for the six months to come and then let loose yeah. again and truth be told me alcohol's never served me well you speak to any of my friends or anybody that knows me it's it doesn't mean alcohol don't go well together. So it's something that's for the betterment of my life, betterment of my family, and you know, so far so good. And and has it has it helped you? You're a professional sportsman, you know. Obviously, I, I'm a, a very very amateur uh, Sunday league footballer, uh, but I'm in my early forties, and I, I can I can see what a difference it's made to me. I'm still yeah. playing, and I'm 44 for a start. You know, I'm crap. But you know, I'm still the fixed guy on the pitch, and that's because I don't drink. Have you have you sensed that in you know the level you play that he's giving you an extra edge? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's definitely given me a little bit more. I don't have them. Whereas before, we might have had a game and gone out. I might have been rough for three or four days and wasted training days, wasted this, wasted that, and you know, I wake up fresh. Like I said to you, we the season finished, time gone by. That would have been a two three day party. Yeah. You know, the classic yeah. Mad Monday. I was in the water park yesterday with my with all my kids and my wife uh, having a splash about. So, you know, it's it's not losing out on memories like that. And, you know, I, I can still go out and have a good laugh with the boys, but then I just go home earlier and don't wake up with the sore head and all the paranoia after. I was going to say, like you mentioned mental health in passing before. That's the biggest difference I've, I've found. How I, I mean, I, I didn't suffer paranoia, but in terms of anxiety, low mood, depression, which yeah. you which you still get because it's not a magic wand, but it's such easier, so much easier to manage when you, you've not got that depressive substance being fed into your brain. That's exactly, it's, it's a depressant. That's exactly it. It just depresses you. So you're just depressing the depression. Yeah, that's it. Um, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the time. Um, I, always, I always finish with our guests along, along the same lines, asking about lessons from rugby league that we've taken you know, having had lives involved in this great sport that gives us such highs and lows and what lessons we take from it that have served us well in our lives as a whole. I mean, you've mentioned a few things in passing already, but I just, I just wonder what kind of the main things you've taken from your career and life in, in league so far that has, has turned you and into the man you are and served you well. Um, I think for me, don't take things too personally. I like, I like criticism. Um, I like to be told if I'm doing something wrong because then I can fix it. If I'm not told, then it's kind of hard to fix something you don't know you're doing wrong. So, for example, when we first come to France, I was saying a word wrong. <laughs> you of the French boys thought it was funny to keep making a joke behind my back and laughing about it. And then, luckily, Mickey, um, he's pretty good. He speaks really good French and he was like, oh, they're laughing because he's saying the word wrong. So I went over and said, look, just tell me I'm trying. If it's wrong, let, let me know so I can say it right. And then, since then, my French has come on a bit better. Um, I think something else to take from the game. Do you know what one of the biggest things I found for myself personally is just trust yourself, trust your gut. 
if you if you think something's going a certain way, 99% of the times it's going a certain way. Um, I've been guilty when I was younger. I had an opportunity to, to leave a club and I didn't. Two times this has happened to me, actually. Um, and I stayed and some way, somehow, I ended up leaving both teams and to my own detriment, um, professionally and financially. So that's one, that's probably the, the biggest lesson I've took. If something doesn't feel right, there's a reason it doesn't feel right and to trust your gut. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. That's a, that's a really good point to finish on. Gil, I've, uh, I've really loved chatting. Um, I mean, I appreciate your time and uh, I wish you every success for you and the family for, for, for the future. Thanks, uh, thanks very much yeah, for coming on. Uh, Gil Dutton, this week's big interview. Keep up with all things Rugby League 24-7. Head on over to loverugbyleague.com. That was uh, this week's big interview with the big man, uh, Gil Dudson. Loads of, uh, of really interesting thoughts there from the uh, soon-to-be Warrington Wolves uh, prop forward. And it didn't sound great, did it, for, for the World Cup with, with Wales and the suspension that, that's running along uh, with it. Uh, Drew Darbshire with us, assistant editor at Love Rugby League. Um, off the back of that victory for Leeds, Drew, against the Catalan Dragons, it was interesting hearing Dudson there he was clearly very, very annoyed with himself. He admitted that Leeds got under the Catalan skin. They play on the edge. But, but also, he, uh, I think he was, he was quite keen to point out that, in his eyes, it probably wouldn't have been a red card a few years ago, such is, is the way the game has changed. But um, a strange one just for the Dragon season to end like that. They're going to have to rebuild. As for Leeds, they, uh, they go on. What did you make, first of all, of the, of the two games in the playoff series that we've had so far, that, that win for, for Leeds and the win for Salford at Huddersfield? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the Catalan-Leeds game. Uh, I know it, in terms of quality, it probably wasn't there in terms of what we, we've seen in previous weeks from like of Wigan and St. Helens and, and even Leeds under Roland Smith. But I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. We always we always like a little bit of biff, don't we? We always like it when when tempers uh, are running high and and the crowd got amongst it as well, which which were unsavoury scenes at the end of the game. But I enjoyed watching it. It was one of the most entertaining games I've I've seen this year. Uh, I've got I've got no qualms about players getting simbined when when tempers flare up. Um, but I think in in terms of quality, Leeds were poor. Catalans were just ill-disciplined and, and poorer. Uh, I don't think it was it was the best in terms of quality, but that was to be expected. Le- Leeds have had to play their full-strength squad for, for pretty much uh, every week for the last two months because of, because they've needed to get into the playoffs and now they did get into playoffs and, and now they're on the verge of, ca- of causing a, an almighty upset. In terms of Catalans, I, w- I was just disappointed uh, because they've played, they've played pretty well all season. They've been inconsistent as of late. But they, they just let themselves down in terms of the the real discipline. Uh, I'm not, I, I know uh, Gil Dudson's this week's guest on the Love Rugby League podcast, but uh, I think he can even admit now that he probably let himself down because he's, he's had a tremendous year and it wasn't the way uh, he would have wanted his Catalan's career to end uh, before he moves on to, to Warrington uh, in 2023. Uh, the, the other semi-final was... Uh, a little bit better, I think, in terms of quality. Uh, Salford, uh, got, how good are they to watch, George? I mean, I think they're everyone's favourite second team at the minute, just because of the way they play. I think there's such a good feel, feel good factor. And I think because the fan base isn't the biggest in Super League, I think a lot of people have kind of a soft spot for, for Salford. I know uh, Josh McAllister for Love Rugby League uh, did a, a good piece earlier this week on each club's average attendance. Uh, in Super League in, in 2022. Salford, I think, were the lowest club uh, with, with 4,500 average uh, coming through the gates. But I know they might not get the numbers, George, but they certainly make uh, enough noise, don't they, the Salford faithful. Uh, I, I think Saints and, and Wigan wouldn't have wanted to play Salford uh, in the semi-finals. It's, it's obviously St. Helens who are, who are playing them on Saturday. But I think with the the news that Alex Walmsley is going to going to miss the rest of the season, I think that comes as a big blow to Saints. And I know Salford will be missing Brodie Croft, but blimey, 
Salford could cause an, an almighty upset on Saturday. Yeah, what, what struck me about the two games we've had so far was, was the contrast between the two. You're right, Salford won by playing the way they've been playing all season. You can still be great entertainers, even when there's so much at stake. They proved in that playoff game where the Leeds Catalan game, the Rhinos had clearly thought, we just need to win this game. Doesn't matter if it's awful to watch, doesn't matter if it's a dreadful game. Well, let's just find a way to win, which is what Leeds historically, traditionally have always done, which is why they've been so successful from loaded league positions. But I did love the way Salford approached it. And, and let's just play the way we play because it works. And it did. And they absolutely blew Huddersfield away. Uh, and interesting, again, that, you know, the, the teams in the top four, beaten by the teams below them who have the M word, the momentum, they've, they've peaked at the right time and picked off the teams that, at times during the season would have been thinking maybe top two here and then they've dropped off and they've just been treading water for a few weeks, really. And then they're hit by that at the end of it and, and off they go. But such is the nature of the playoffs. On the injuries, um, we should mention Mikolai Oledsky as well, who walking off the pitch for the Rhinos, he's been brilliant, dream team member. He'd had his, kind of, his shirt folded up in a sling. So that clearly didn't look good. Um, obviously for Leeds and for England as well. The Wormsley news is an absolute hammer blow, not just for Saints, um, who, who have had to make do with losing star men all season, um, but but for England, you know, you do worry for the for the World Cup. What what England are going to do with the amount of injuries they're getting at the moment to to uh, to key men? That was an absolute hammer blow, and and the Salford one, Brody Croft. Well, I think they'll see that as a chance now. They they won't so much see it as a free hit because it's a great opportunity. You know, they they're, they're one match away from Old Trafford again, and I know how much they want it, but. It is a free hit in that no one expects them to go to the champions and win. And certainly, if there were a few people who did, even they will be doubting whether they can do it without their talisman. You know, a contender for, for, for Man of Steel in, in this guy from the NRL who's been reborn in, in Brody Croft. So, I think they'll be chatting now saying, like, we'll do this for him. And what a chance it is for us. And Brody Croft has made these Salford players better players. Ryan Briley talks about that. He's made me a better player. He's made a lot of the guys around him better players. So it's a chance for them, I think, to prove now what good players they are and, and, and stand up and try and do it so that Brodie Croft does have one more game this season. The, it'll be a grand final if they do it. Yeah, the, the thing that I notice most about Salford, the Salford players is that everyone just seems to be smiling all the time uh, on, the, on the team song. Uh, everyone's buzzing. I, every time I, I look at Brodie Croft, whether that be on social media or on highlights or in a game... He just seems to have a smile on his face all the time, uh, which we, did, we didn't we didn't see in the NRL because obviously the press battered him. He was in a struggling team at, at the Broncos. He was kind of in in Cooper Cronk, the the Australian great shadow uh, in the NRL. But he's he's, he's thriving, isn't he? Uh, I know you did a, a piece with Paul Rowley a, a couple of months ago on the on the podcast now, and Rowley said that. Brody was a, a little bit of a damaged soul, I think he said. Uh, and yeah. he's come over here and he's, he's taken Super League by storm and, and he fully deserves his place in the, in the Super League dream team. I think his missus is English, so it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a shame that doesn't qualify him uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the World Cup, isn't it? Yeah, she's from Cambridge, I think. I think she's from. Um, but yeah, no, there's a great dynamic there. They, yeah, the spine that they've talked about all season with, with Briley and Sneed and, and Croft with their own little WhatsApp group, which discusses plays. Croft, Croft will watch the opposition even before that match comes along on his own and go back with ideas about how to beat them. Uh, they've said uh, that little WhatsApp group has also turned into a bit of a Paul Rowley tribute where they just feed in one-liners that Rowley has said that day, a bit like David Brent. And they've just got a list now of classic Rowley one-liners, which they have. But that, that's brought a really nice kind of camaraderie between coach and his, and his three playmakers. And Rowley said at the start of the year, he says, like, when things go wrong for us, I'm going to hammer you three more than anyone. And I'm going to do it in front of everyone because you're the guys you need to make the decision. And he, he has done that. He's absolutely hammered them. But then when it comes off, it's gone the other way and they've got all the portraits and all the pats on the, pats on the back. So it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how they get, how they go. Um, without without uh, without Brodie Croft. Really looking forward to, to those two semi-finals. Uh, on the other... Uh, news, bits of news we should cover on, on the podcast. I'll, I'll ask you about the awards nominations in a moment. But also coaching changes already. The teams whose seasons have ended prior uh, to the playoffs, two of them have already made changes in Willie Poaching going um, and Francis Cummins, his number two at, at Wakefield and Tony Smith crossing um, Hull to go, go to Hull FC. Now, 
I sensed there was a degree of surprise amongst the rugby league media about the Willie Poaching and the Wakefield news. It, I've got to be honest, it didn't surprise me at all. I know, I know he ultimately saved them from relegation in his first season, but it was an awful season. Confidence was low. It was so disjointed. Yes, they, they picked up when it mattered at the end, but I think just where we are, the climate of rugby league and everyone expecting a, a degree of change in the next few years, everyone's kind of looking over their shoulder now and they can't stand still and they have to move on. I'd have been shocked if the hierarchy at Wakefield were happy enough with what they'd seen this season to say to Willie, yeah, have another crack at it next year. I, I fully expected them to do what they've done. Uh, I, 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 it came as a little bit of a surprise just the timing of the announcement. I thought I thought this this could have been made at the last game of the season where, where they was doing all the farewells for David Fita, for Tinero Arona. If this was made before the end of the season, then obviously they could have had a little bit of a send-off for Willie because ultimately it did save them from, from relegation. I know it was still a, a poor season uh, from Wakefield considering, was it six or seven years ago under Chris Chester, they, they finished inside the playoffs. I think I think the highest finish was, was fifth. Um, so it has been a, a very poor season, but uh, the, the timing surprised me, but the actual decision didn't surprise me. Uh, I think they need to be recruiting very well over the next couple of months and spending a, a lot of money because you look in the championship, Leah are spending big. They're heavy favourites to gain promotion. Look at Featherstone, they're spent, also spending big. They've recently announced new contracts for Mark Carella, Jonathan Ford and, and Joe Leia-Liver as well, which is a statement of intent for 2023. So Wakefield need to have an impressive recruitment drive if they are to stay up again next season because... I think at the minute there's it's it's not looking good. I don't think for for Trinity that they've not got a, a head coach for next season, and the squad needs to be improved uh, pretty vastly before uh, the twenty twenty three season begins. And a word on on Tony Smith. I think he'll do really well at Hull FC. He's had an impact at every club. He's he's gone okay. Hull KR tailed off, but certainly the impact he had before then where they were when he took over and where he got them. Uh, there was real transformation. Everywhere else he's gone with Huddersfield, Warrington, Leeds, he, he's had great success. I can't see anything other than an upturn in the black and whites. It's just interesting how many clubs in Super League he's going to have ended up coaching. What's that, five out of 12 now? Yeah. <laughs> he, lo- he loves it, doesn't he? And, and and to be fair, he doesn't need to move move house or relocate his family no. as well. So, uh, he's, he's, he, yeah, he's come up coach there as, as Tony Smith. He's, he's probably been introduced back into the game a little bit earlier than expected. I think it was only 10 weeks ago or something like that. He was actually relieved of his duties at, at Hull KR. So I think he'll do a great job at, at Hull FC. He'll, he'll bring the, the young players through as he has done at, at KR over the past couple of years, which which they need to be doing. They've, they've got a, a good academy of, of Hull FC and they need to bring through more of those younger players to compete with the likes of Wigan, Leeds and Saints. Uh, but I, I, I expect him to to do a tremendous job. He's he's got one of the best coaching CVs that we know. Uh, it was he didn't even he he weren't even sat by KR, was he? I think it was his decision to to leave a little bit earlier than than what was initially anticipated when he he dropped that bombshell on us in in the press call. Uh, but I, I think he'll he'll turn Hull into a solid top six playoff club. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Right, quick look at uh, awards nominations before we go on the Love Rugby League podcast. Um, it is award season, both in the Championship League One and, and Super League, first of all. Uh, Three-man shortlist for the Man of Steel, uh, Jay Fields, Brody Croft or Jack Wellsby. Young player, it's Wellsby, Mikey Lewis or Morgan Gannon and Coach of the Year, Wolf, Rowley or Pete. What are you saying? I think from Man of Steel, you, you can't really look past Jay Field, can you? I know Brodie Croft and, and Jack Wellsby have had tremendous seasons, but in terms of the impact that Field has had on that Wigan squad this year, they've already lifted the, the Challenge Cup. They've got eyes on the grand final uh, at the time of recording anyway. Um, so I, I don't think you can look past Field. In terms of coaches, it's, this is a, a tough one for me. I think it's out of Rowley and Pete. If you look at Pete, I know he's got a, a very strong squad at Wigan already, but it's his first season as a head coach. He's the youngest head coach in Super League. He's already landed his, his first major trophies. He can maybe do the double in his first year in charge, which would be an incredible feat. But then look at Rowley. 
he's he's on the other end of the spectrum. He's got one of the smallest playing budgets uh, in Super League. I think several, <laughs> a couple of teams in the in the championship are, are probably spending more than than what Salford are. So, for him to to get to the semi finals of of Super League, considering they finished second bottom last year, uh, is also a, a very impressive season. I probably. Uh, oh, this is tough. I, I'd go with, I'd, uh, with with my Wigan hat on. I'll go with Pete. Um, I, I don't think you could look past Pete, especially if he wins. If he wins the double, uh, in terms of the young player, I, I don't. I think this is um, a no-brainer in in Jack Wellsby. He's been nominated for the Man of Steel, hasn't he? So if he's been nominated for the Man of Steel, how? Won't you win the Young Player of the Year? I think it's yeah. it's easy to say. You can slot him in anywhere. He's had a tremendous season for Saints. I talked to him at the Dream Team uh, launch a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he's he's got big ambitions to to get his hand on the World Cup trophy with England at the end of the year. So uh, I, I don't think you can walk past him. Yeah, I'd agree with most of that. I think Man of Steel will, will be field from from Brody Croft. I think Wells begets Young Player because. He was in the dream team and Michael Lewis and, and Gannon weren't. I think it's that simple. Um, and, and also, like you say, he was nominated for Man of Steel as well. Coach, again, like you, I think it's Rowley or Pete. I, I, I would just go in terms of an individual achievement, Rowley, just edging Pete. But I think Pete will probably get it. Uh, in terms of looking down at the, the championship, I'm expecting Lee to do pretty well at the championship awards. Um, Player of the year, Asiata or Ifafi, I would say, Ritson and Keyes. The other two mentioned, and and your coach, Lamb Griggs or 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 Crary. That that's probably the more interesting call. That one. That, that's probably the harder one to to pick. Well, uh, Paul Crary being being my coach there in the championship, you've got to put it into context, haven't you? This time last year, Barrow Raiders were a League One club, <laughs> and this yeah. this year they've they've made it to to fourth in a very very competitive championship season. Uh, in terms of player of the year in the championship, I'm gonna go with. Ipape, I think he's been sensational since he's he's come yeah. up. And Sam yeah, no, I'd agree with that as well. Player, I think he's, Sam Essay has been tremendous. Right, we're out of time. Drew, thanks for coming on this week. Thank you to you as well for listening. Don't forget the Love Rugby League podcast is out every single week of the year. So tell your mates, get us downloaded, get subscribed. We're available on Apple, Spotify, wherever you are listening to us, all the major podcast platforms leave us a review and a rating if you can as well every little helps and do stay across love rugby league's social channels as well for more exclusive news features and interviews see you next time thanks for listening to the love rugby league podcast know someone who shares our collective love for rugby league let them know about this podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode eager for more rugby league news visit loverugbyleague.com sports social podcast network